HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India. And out there, there's a real famous dish, a classic dish, I should say, is called paya. Parathe wali gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. Big thank you to Hearst Ranch for sponsoring today's episode. This is Heritage Radio's 10th anniversary. Can you believe it? We've been doing this for 10 years. I haven't. I'm only, this is my 13th season of Feast Your Ears. Today's episode, like, about 161 or so. I feel like I messed up the count recently, and I haven't gone back to really, like, count them. But uh, So it is our 10th anniversary. Coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, actually two weeks from today, uh, on November 11th, is our gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Uh, and it would be awesome if you would join us. It's going to be a great party. There's going to be awesome food. There's going to be prizes. There's going to be like a ring toss. You can win some wine, champagne, uh, spirits. So go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala uh, and join us and join me, uh, and it'll be fun. I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. It's available everywhere on the Internet, uh, and maybe if you download it, it's available off the Internet. Today's theme, on the road, relax and go with the flow. I've been on the road a lot this year. I just got back last night, or very early this morning, from Minneapolis. I was there for the work that I do with Kikuchi Cutlery, the oldest knife company in the world. I was there for an event at a kitchen shop called Kitchen Window. If you're in Minneapolis, go check them out. When traveling, I always try to keep an open mind and see where the day takes me. 
I try to do this at home as well, but it's sometimes hard when you have a schedule to keep kids to get to school, specific bedtimes and the like. When you're traveling, especially by yourself, you can be a little more open to different things. I got to see one of my longtime favorite musicians play Friday night. If you don't know Richard Thompson, I recommend that you check him out. He's 70 years old, having started his career in the folk rock band Fairport Convention in 1967, but he's still at it. He played an energetic solo acoustic live show at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota on Friday, and I was lucky enough to see it. Upon leaving the theater, I balked at the line of cars lined up to leave the parking garage where I'd stashed my rental. So I meandered three blocks to the old-style-looking dining car I'd seen on my way. Mickey's has been there, open 24-7, 365, since 1939. It's tiny. Inside, it's not hip. It's not fast casual. It's not fine dining. It's just a diner. Pretty much the same, it seems, as it's been for the last 80 or so years. I caught the shift change. They stopped serving from 10.45 to 11 p.m. so they can clean the griddle, sweep behind the counter, and for the outgoing and incoming short-order cooks to catch up, say hi, rib each other, and rib the customers about whose food is more likely to cause heartburn. I'd never been there before, but I felt like I was coming home. Sitting between someone who was clearly a regular and a couple who'd also been at the show with me, they seem to go there a few times a year, but they're not on a first-name basis with the staff. It just felt right. What followed was a fun conversation with strangers, a warm place to sit, and a hearty bowl of Brunswick stew with a side of toast. I left with the feeling that I was lucky to have seen more than one iconic experience that night, and all because I decided I might as well drive the 20 minutes and see if there were still any seats left for the show that had already started by the time I headed over there. Last night, on my way to the airport to leave Minneapolis, I stopped at Rainbow Chinese. I'd met Tammy Wong, the chef and owner, the day before at the knife event I was attending. I knew immediately when she walked up to the table that she was the real deal. I'm not sure how to describe how I knew that. Maybe it was the soft-spoken but confident way she asked questions and gave her thoughts on the knives I was representing. Or maybe it was that she was clearly there to take care of some business, but took the time to stop and discuss. Or maybe it was that she was wearing a chef jacket under her coat, and her eyes moved around, taking it all in without breaking from our conversation at hand. A skill that those running kitchens need to have. I call it eyes in the back of your head. You can see it all without having to look at it exactly. I had just enough time for the short detour to visit Rainbow on my way to the airport, and I'm really glad I did. Again, if you're ever in Minneapolis, go check it out. What I found was a bright, clean, busy restaurant that Tammy and her mother had been operating since 1987. It was a mix of young, hip folks working the bar, to people eating, along with Tammy and her mother moving around, taking phone and takeout orders, seating patrons, putting out fast, fresh, delicious Chinese food. Two things caught my eye and my taste buds last night. The pickle plate is all house-pickled seasonal vegetables, including a mind-expanding Chinese slaw that was drenched in sweet vinegar and spices and included mustard seeds. The other was a deep red hot sauce that was in the tableside carrier. Tammy explained to me it's a mix of vine-ripened red jalapenos along with fresh cayennes that she makes every year when the peppers are ripe and then ages it for a year before putting on the table. Sadly, what was on the tables will be the last for about two years because the harvest this year was terrible and she didn't make a batch. None of this is explained anywhere in the restaurant. I didn't find it written about anywhere online. She just mentioned it in passing. To me, that was what made it so amazing, that she's just putting out this food that is clearly important to her and making the best stuff she can, but it's, you know, it's just there. It's just how she does it. She offered me a container of each one of those to take home, but we decided the TSA would probably take them away if I took them carry-on, which is how I was traveling. So I'll have to wait and think about these dishes until the next time I'm in Minneapolis. Restaurants make us feel a certain way. I've waxed poetic on almost every episode of Feast Your Ears about how food makes us feel and how the experience and your personal have so much to do with how the food experience is, and almost as much, if not more, than the food itself. My guest today, 
is Char Charles Balillas, the founder and CEO of Suvla, a chain of Greek-inspired restaurants he founded in 2014 that now has four locations in San Francisco. And we're also joined by Jen Palka of The Riddler, who was a last-minute addition. Uh, they just opened second location here in New York City in the West Village. They have more than 150 champagnes and some killer food. Jen and Charles happen to be married uh, and spend time traversing back and forth across the country now. Uh, the other location of The Riddler in San Francisco opened in 2017. Thanks, guys, for coming in the studio. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. So I would love to talk about uh, traveling. That was, you know, where, where we kind of ended up here. I mean, so, you know, you guys clearly go back and forth a lot. Uh, Charles, I was looking at your Instagram earlier. Uh, looked like you also do a lot of traveling around. Yeah. Um, you know, do you guys have any experiences that come to mind uh, where you've been somewhere without really expecting to have a cool experience and then something happens? I think several, and, it, and you know, one of the ones that just kind of popped into my head, we were in, um, this was a couple years ago, we were in North Carolina quite randomly for, for a friend's wedding, and I happened to reconnect with a chef that I used to work for, and this was pretty early on into our courtship, we weren't married, and he was working, he was a chef at, at that point at a, a really, really high-end hotel, and we just kind of on a whim were like, should we just stay, and we purposely missed our flight <laughs> uh, and ended up staying an extra night just to like hang out and he got us he hooked us up with um, an amazing room and, and dinner and all this fun stuff and that was just kind of like a, a total like we were not expecting we was just kind of like a quick bomb in bomb out for this wedding and then we kind of found ourselves like splurging at a hotel that we'd never even that was like brand new that we hadn't even heard of so uh, but yes a lot of traveling uh, just got back from uh, 10 days in Greece and I think this will be just in, this will be my first of probably three trips to New York in the month of, technically in the month of November. Oh, wow. So um, a lot of, a lot of back and forth. But San Francisco is where you guys have like home. San Francisco has been home for us, has been home for, certainly for me for the last 11 years and home for us for the last six. Um, and then that's starting to shift a little bit right now. So... Yeah, we also have a place um, here in the city in Nolita. Um, and I lived in New York for about 10 years before I met Charles. And then um, when we first started dating, we were splitting. Well, I was living in New York. He was living in San Francisco. And so we started long distance. And now oh, wow. uh, <laughs> we're really accustomed to the idea of like traveling across the country to see each other. <laughs> and are you and you guys then must be used to like the time difference for like phone calls and stuff like yeah. if you're here Jen and you wake up and you're like oh I got to ask Charles something but it's like 8 a.m. here like it's kind of hard to call right Yeah. Yeah, we've we've well between that and also um having family on the on the east coast as well we're always a little bit more mindful of our families are not always as mindful of calling us. <laughs> I'll get like the, you know, the the 6 a.m. text message or whatever um but yes, but it, it's definitely like the most challenging part um, is managing teams across sure. multiple time zones. That's always a tricky piece Yeah, when you've got standing meetings and then one restaurant is in service and the other one is like just starting their day. Right. Um, yeah. Everybody's kind of at a different pace, right? Like right. when you're in the middle of that yeah. different, different pace. And, you know, the biggest thing, most of my work now can be done uh, remotely. I'm really grateful to have just an amazing team um, that's overseeing the day-to-day. -day. Email actually uh, becomes a little bit more challenging because you can get up in the morning when you're in the East Coast and just plow through emails and no one's awake yet and just feel super right. great about getting caught up. And then 
by like seven o'clock on the East Coast or eight, you're trying to like, even like six, you're kind of like winding down, you know, trying to meet up with people for drinks or this or whatever. And it's like three and everybody needs you. And like your <laughs> right. email is blowing yeah. up and it just like, right. oh, it's like, I just, I, my, my day is kind of wrapping up here. I'm trying to like go and, you know, do my thing. And so that's, that's the other kind of challenge. Yeah. Bit. I was just in Japan with the knife company and, you know, over there you're talking a 13 hour difference. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like that, but like, you know, you're, you're ready to go to bed. Right. And everybody's just getting up on the East Coast and they're like, all right, we need this answer. We need blah, 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 blah. And so you're completely opposite. Right. Right. And the the only, the other sort of advantage, um, at least from my end now, because I'm still a little bit more biased towards San Francisco, is I can actually successfully run on West Coast time while on the East Coast. Only because, and and you, and you can't do the inverse because, um, (laughs) well, no, it's what, what, what's great is I can like sleep in until, you know, 10 o'clock. Right. Um, and also, especially now with Jen in the midst of all of the Riddler opening, she generally won't be able to, doesn't leave the restaurant until 9, 30, 10 o'clock most nights anyways. So if we're going to try and have dinner together, sure, we have to dine late, yep. which I have no issue with and love dining late uh, and love dining with Jen. But uh, you can do that in New York. You know, you can, you can walk into a restaurant at 10, 30 at night on a Tuesday and it's no big deal. Yep. You try and do that in San Francisco, like the record scratches and they just, you know, it's not a, it's not a late night town. Yeah, that's true. That's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if it's because the public transit closes down in San Francisco. That's definitely a part of it. I think it's also just part of of the culture. Like San Franciscans are up early in the morning going for a, you know, 10K run. Sure. On a Tuesday. Yeah. And New Yorkers are going for like a run for like a bacon, egg and cheese. That's right. And a coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's a different, yeah. different thing. Well, so let's talk about that with the Riddler being in both cities, right? So a uh, restaurant of the same name, I assume there are lots of commonalities where you expect someone who's going to go visit in San Francisco to have a similar experience as New York. But is the restaurant and the menu and even the wines you offer, are they different because of the cultural differences? Well, we like to think about it as them being sisters and not twins. Cool. Um, and for us, that really means that, you know, the two restaurants look and feel similar in a lot of ways, but that they're really of their community and um, of their neighborhood. So our San Francisco restaurant opened three years ago um, in a very old cafe. And so it feels like an old almost like a Parisian cafe. Um, and it's got a lot of obvious history to it when you walk in. Um, it also is 500 square feet. It's tiny. Um, and it, we don't really have a full kitchen there. So our focus there is really truly on the champagnes. Um, we've got over 100, 150 champagnes by the bottle. Very, very deep list, deep reserve list. Um, and our food there is like really whimsical, really fun. And it's essentially what we can do without a kitchen. And so there we've got these tater tot waffles that we've become, you know, well known for (laughs) where we take tater tots and put them in a waffle iron, which was, um, Charles's brilliant invention when we couldn't figure (laughs) out how to do a version of fries without fryers. Um, and we're really all about the high low. So I love the idea of having tater tots, smoked salmon, caviar, like champagne. essentially, and then champagne, <laughs> yeah. of course. So we've got um, really fun things like that. Here in, in New York, um, we have a full kitchen, which is really exciting. So we're able to really expand on what our original vision was. Um, and so here, you know, we're really excited. We've got a killer burger that people are going pretty crazy over. Um, we've got a big oyster bar. So big selection from a raw bar. 
And then, you know, we're still doing really fun things like our caviar comes with potato chips instead of bellinis or anything that's more traditional like that. Um, and so we hope that guests, when they're visiting us in San Francisco or New York, feel like they're at, um, you know, a place that still feels really consistent, but that it's not like cookie cutter in any way. Sure. And that each of the two spaces feels um, certainly of the same family, but not identical. Awesome. Do you feel like the... Um, the, the effort to have so many champagne available all, you know, all the time is, and I mean, I always think of champagne and certainly grew up like champagne was not for Tuesday night, right? Sure. Like champagne yeah. was a special occasion. Um, you know, my, my grandparents famously, I mean, my grandparents had a bottle of like 1960s Dom Perignon that sat like on the shelf over the radiator for like my <laughs> Probably entire child. Probably the best place for it to be sitting. Oh yeah, for sure. And when, and when we <laughs> were cleaning out the years. <laughs> house, uh, you know, my, my father kind of remarked that like when he met my mother, it had been sitting there, you know, yep. and like it never moved yep. and like what a waste of a <laughs> really great yeah. bottle of champagne for it to have sat there for like 40 years. Did you ever, did you ever open it? Uh, I, d- I was I was not old enough to drink at the time. I don't know if anybody ever opened it. Mm. Uh, I imagine probably so. I mean, I, I imagine that my mom and her siblings probably opened it when they were cleaning out the house. Yeah, uh, I, they, they didn't talk about it as if it was life-changing, so right. I probably was not drinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, um, I do think that champagne is something that can be or should be um, enjoyed on a daily basis. And I think that it's the kind of thing that can turn any day into a real celebration. Hmm. Um, it's definitely a style of wine that is super food friendly. Um, I think that you can drink champagne, um, with pizza, with burgers, with, you know, chicken fingers. I think you can also of course drink it with foie gras, caviar, truffles. And, um, it's such a refreshing drink. Um, it's such a beautifully well-crafted, um, and historic, uh, beverage, and I think it's something that deserves to be enjoyed on a daily basis. I also think it's something that you know. I mean, I I'm, most of the time when I go out to eat, it's with someone else, right? Either with a, you know, my wife or a friend or a group of people. Um, you know, sitting at home, I would never think to open a bottle of champagne and just have a glass of champagne by sure. myself. It's a communal kind of thing. I, I do mind. agree with that. I think um, that that's what a half bottle was invented for. <laughs> Um, But definitely, I mean, I I think most of the time when we're thinking about champagne, we're thinking about enjoying it with others. Yeah. Um, We do get a lot of guests who come in as single diners, come in and crush a dozen oysters and half bottle or a bottle of champagne. I mean, that sounds awesome. My daughter, she's 10 and she'll crush a dozen oysters anytime. Totally. I mean, you know, she's not up to the champagne yet, but we'll see. Uh, So, Charles, I want to talk about Suvla. Sure. Um, You have Greek background, right? Your, Your mom grew up in Greece. She did. Um, and so tell me about how did, you know, how did Suvla come about? I mean, when I was, you know, researching this episode and looking at it, um, it made me wish that there was something like it in New York because I, I love a simple menu, right? Like in my childhood growing up, you know, when I thought of Greek food, uh, and certainly like gyros were the thing in like Westchester County Greek diner, right? Like mm-hmm. we used to go out, they were open 24 hours when I was a teenager, disco fries, you know, gyros, whatever. Right with a menu that was like the size of the Bible. Right. And I look at the Suva and I clicked on menu on your website and I was expecting it to be like a scroll <laughs> and it's like one tiny little piece of paper. Yeah. Um, well, a lot, a lot to unpack there. Certainly the, the, the rich uh, tradition of Greeks running diners um, in the tri-state area. But sure. <laughs> um, uh, outside of that, yes, Suva has a very simple streamlined menu. I... I'm a firm believer that the consumer actually does not want choice, um, and so we have we roast three meats and we and one vegetable, and you can have it as a sandwich or a salad. Each of those has their own 
set to use the more sort of technical culinary term, but, you know, uh, a combination of dressings and uh, other uh, ingredients, and that's kind of it. And what was pretty remarkable in the early days, and I'll tell you sort of the, how that kind of came to be, but yeah. in the early days, it was, it was um, people didn't really know how to sort of interpret that. It, it, it caught a lot of people off guard because I think, much like you said, they were used to going to these Mediterranean or Middle Eastern restaurants and having this massive menu. And so they walk up and they're like, wait a minute, this is it? Um, and then within the first couple of months, it sh quickly shifted from that kind of like, you know, why don't you have, you know, gyros because that's not what we serve. And why isn't there more things to all of a sudden, like after having the food, they're like, I'm watching the same guests bring their friends and their family back and say, okay, here's this place. They only have four things. You have to do it. Sandwich or salad, blah, blah, blah. And they're, and they're like evangelizing um, on, on behalf of the brand. And I, and I think that there is, again, just this, the fact that there's so limited choice, it's just so refreshing, especially coming off of the sort of first wave of fast casual, the where you have the serve lines and everything else like that. And you're just sure. confronted with all of this choice. And yeah. you're just like, a little paralyzed because you don't really know totally what what you want right and, do it, i mean like yeah like i mean it's it's like subway i feel like was the first place to do that and yeah it's like, well, i don't know right do i want like chopped bell pepper or banana peppers right or do i want onion well or and not? also like, and, and also not every consumer you know knows what goes with what and so, yeah. and so i mean <laughs> you know so oftentimes you kind of like are just choosing your own adventure over here and you're, and you're ending up with something where it just doesn't taste good because you've got a bunch of ingredients that, that conflict with each other yep um, and so we, we, we had designed this menu um, with these, you know, combinations of, you know, dressings and cheeses and vegetables and obviously the meats um, to go really, really well together. But actually what's been quite remarkable is you look at that menu and it seems so rigid and so limited and so streamlined and which in many ways it is. But there's actually a tremendous amount of flexibility built into that menu that we don't go out of our way to advertise, but we're really, really fortunate to have a just a really loyal um, customer base, people that dine with us two, three, four days a week. Yeah. And they've and they've found their their thing. They have their go-to souvla order, which is not always like as it's written on the menu. Got it. Like, like I'm looking at the menu now. Yeah. I mean, does that mean that someone might order the chicken with the harissa yogurt from the lamb? It's actually a little bit more of like someone will order the chicken, but they want it with the setup with the pork. That's kind of a common one where Got they it. want the tomatoes, the cucumbers, the feta oh, cheese. Huh. But instead of the pork, they want the chicken. Right. Um, if you don't eat dairy, we can make anything without cheese or without the yogurt dressing. We have a, a huge following within the paleo community, which was not what it was intended to be, but <laughs> because you can get this this giant bowl of, of veggies and a bunch of protein on, you right. know, on top. Right. Um, we have actually a bit of a vegan following, which is seems a little bizarre because our tagline is "spit fired meats." But <laughs> but you but people you know we do this really really great roasted white sweet potato. Sure. Um, that you can that we can easily make vegan. We, so we can we can accommodate almost any sort of dietary, you know, configuration there because yeah. everything is made to order. Right. And you guys are doing something else that I find interesting. From a, um, you know, I mean, I, I I'm curious to know. Uh, in addition, kind of like what are the you know what are the plans for Suvla? Sure. But one of the things I wanted to point out is like, you guys have your own branded Greek beer. Yes. Um, which I find very interesting as what you know as a small restaurant group. 
you know, that's something that I feel like in the past was something that was reserved. Like you had to buy a lot sure. of it to be able to do that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like, you know, having your own branded beer and sort of why, why you guys made that choice instead of just serving somebody else's. Well, it actually started with, uh, with our own branded wine. Um, so we have the country's only all Greek beverage list. Um, all the way down to the sparkling water. So we bring in, our, our, our menu is either sourced very locally, as in within Northern California. Sure, I see or, the Mary's chicken, or which it's, is well known. Yeah, or it's, or it's coming from Greece. So it's either like hyper-local <laughs> or, or coming from Greece. Yeah. Um, and, and so it started with, with my own sort of personal passion for wine, and especially for, for Greek wine, and, and in the years before Suvla, you know, trying my best to sort of evangelize about how amazing Greek wine is and what a tremendous value it is and how it's super delicious. And, how, and no, it's not just Retsina, which is why right. it's written on that menu as such. <laughs> and, and you know, I have a great relationship um, with our wine importer, which is who I was with when I was just in Greece, and, and started to build relationships with these winemakers in Greece. And this is before Suvla opened. And so when we did open, I, I wanted to put together just a very simple, much like the food menu, beverage-wise, same deal. So when you look at it, you know, there's one white, one red, one, one rosé, one sparkling, and then we do the um, Redsina as well. Again, adhering to that sort of the belief that the customer doesn't really want choice. And so right. when someone comes in, it's like, what do you have for white wines by the glass? It's like, we have one. Right. You know, and, and all of our wines are focused on native Greek varietals, but they're positioned in a way where we wanted to make sure that people felt comfortable ordering them, which is why... You know, the, it says the Suvla Greek Red as opposed to, let me get the Agoritiko, you know, from the Mea. Right. Which no one knows uh, what that is. What that is. <laughs> yeah. And so when we opened, we were, we had just the, the regular wines, as the list says, but but for, under the producer's label. And as we started to sell more wine in in various trips to Greece, I was like, I just kind of was starting thinking, like, well, we're buying a fair amount of wine. Like, how much wine would we need to do for it to? be put under our label because the Suvla brand is far more well-known in San Francisco than any of our wine makers sure. uh, brands are. And now we're at a scale um, where we'll probably bring in uh, about close to 60 pallets of wine this year, wow. um, which is right around 3,000 cases. Yeah. Um, so it's now quite a big part of, of the business. But to answer your question about the beer, um, Jen and I were actually in Greece. This is probably four years ago now, um, and we were meeting with, with one of our winemakers, and um, I was in, introducing him to, to Jen, we were tasting at the winery, and we were buying that beer um, that's now under our label, um, just under the regular Zeos label, and it turned out that the brewery was super close to where we were in the Peloponnese at, at the winery. And so I had reached out earlier to the to the brewmaster, who's actually a Canadian guy uh, brewing beer in, in huh. Greece. And I was like, hey, you know, we buy your beer in San Francisco. Like, I'm going to be in town, we, in, in the neighborhood in Argos, in the middle of sort of nowhere in the yeah. Peloponnese, <laughs> the very, like, agricultural kind of community. And we went over, and sure enough, like, a pretty sort of industrial setup, you know, not, there's no tasting room or anything else like that. And, you know, we met up, we chatted, we tasted a bunch of his other beers. They brew a really, really cool fresh beer. That they sell in like liter soda bottles, like oh, plastic wow. soda bottles. That's yeah, that's like very delicious and and refreshing. Obviously, doesn't uh, export. Yep. And I just kind of as we were we were working on the private label wine stuff, and I just very casually was like, "How much beer would you need like for you to do a, a private label for beer?" And he just looks at me, kind of shrugs, and he's like, "I don't know." He's like, "A pallet?" And I was like, just doing the math in my head, I was like, 
oh yeah i mean like right <laughs> great <laughs> you, ha- you have to ship it in that amount anyway yeah. right like and also like a palette <laughs> uh, you know a palette of beer you know 56 i think beer is a little bit more uh wines 56 i forget how many cases yeah have, but beer they stack a little higher yeah they stack a little higher but it's not it, it, for at that point i think we had one possibly two restaurants um so we knew we were going to sell it right so it's like great and so, um, yeah, it comes in a blue bottle, um, and it's a just a super delicious, crisp lager. It's yeah. not going to change your opinion about beer, but it's like very refreshing, and now become part of, has has become part of our brand. And are those available at stores outside of Suvla? Uh The beer, no. Um, the wines, some of the wines, yes. Um, not under the Suva label. We 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 were selling them. We had we have relationships with other uh, wine shops in San Francisco, and for a short time, we were actually selling the Suva wine in other wine shops, and then we just started selling more and more wine in the restaurants, and we had to kind of pull it back. Sure, it's 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 been it's been an interesting sort of evolution over the years, trying to because you basically have to forecast for the year what yeah. you're gonna do. Um, it, you know, to make sure that you that the winery is setting aside enough wine, it's getting sure. on a container, it's getting labeled, it's getting properly, labeled yeah. properly, and it's and it's making. And by the time it gets to the West Coast from Greece, I mean it's three months. You know, so you have to kind of be on the system. And we're now at a point where we're buying enough wine. I mean, our our, our white wine um, that we do under the Suva label, the, the the winery, I mean, makes it now exclusively for us. I mean, you can't buy it in the U.S. Huh, um, yeah. <laughs> So we're, because we're just buying that much of it, yeah. you know, um, and it's it's remarkable. Even it, it you know, uh, one of the other wineries that we work with that makes our our rosé and our red, um, we're now like two percent of their production globally, which is kind of crazy because we're a little restaurant group in San Francisco. Yeah. So, um, so it's just been really really fun, and people love the wine, and it's super delicious, and we serve it in sort of a more traditional format where we're, we're actually, we serve it in the, in the little metal wine crafts that you see throughout Greece in quarter liter and half liter sizes. So when you're spending 11 or 12 bucks for a glass of wine and a, you know, a conventional glass pour is six ounces, um, you're actually getting eight ounces of wine. Right. And, and certainly in a city, in a very expensive city like San Francisco, um, paying less than you would for, I mean, you can't get a glass of wine now at any other restaurant for less than like 14 bucks. Yeah. You know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So. Well, it's not that crazy. I mean, Jen's well, sitting right here with the Riddler. I'm, I'm sure that. But she's selling <laughs> champagne. She's selling champagne by the glass, Fair which point. is a, which is a little a little different. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a short break and hear from our sponsor, Hearst Ranch. Uh, and when we come back, I know this is mostly a show about food, but I want to talk about cars. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. 
Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and if you are just tuning in, uh, we're having a great time. My guests are Charles Balillas, who is the founder and CEO of Suvla Restaurants in San Francisco. They have four locations. Uh, and also his wife, Jen Palka, who uh, owns The Riddler, which has a location in San Francisco and just opened two weeks ago uh, here in New York City in the West Village. Before the break, we were talking about travel. We were talking about uh, Suvla branded wine, beer. Um, but I want to talk about cars because you yes. guys are into cars, right? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I very much am, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, also very thankful to have married a woman who 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 shares my uh, shares and supports my passion and love for cars. Um, well, I don't. I don't have a driver's license, so. Oh. <laughs> My husband uh, is an excellent driver, and so I luckily married a driver. I used to have a driver's license, but as like a New Yorker, you kind of forget to yeah. renew, and then. Uh, but but Charles has a bunch of cars, but and the they're normal, all amazing, and they're very fun to be a passenger in. But the normal sort of stereotype is always like the wife is putting down the like putting the kibosh on like a, a, sure. a car purchase, where more often than not, I get the like thumbs up approval from Jen. <laughs> About about buying something, which is which is quite quite remarkable. We should we should all hang out with my wife Taylor, who also is into cars. She and I both grew up in car families. Mm-hmm. Um, her father collects Citroens and other oh, French cars. God, yeah, uh, has two DSs and a couple of Peugeots. <sighs> Um, so. We all went as a family to the Citroen Centennial. Like 18 of us rented a house <gasps> wow. and stayed wow. in France this summer and went to the Citroen Centennial celebration. Um, so tell me about your cars. What do you have? In your well, in your stable. So I looked on Instagram, and let me see. You have a Willys Jeep. Mm-hmm. You have technically, uh, actually, a Ford. Oh, it's a Ford. Yeah, it's oh. a forty-two Ford GPW. So it was before. It was when both Willys and Ford were manufacturing Jeeps for sure. World War II. I, yeah. I almost bought one like that when I was a teenager in Northern California. I yeah. did not. I wish I could. I the, wish I had. The cool part about it. There are many cool parts about it, but one of it is the fact that the guy that I bought it from swapped in. Uh, GM uh, fuel injected V6 oh, wow. out of a Blazer, um, so it's way more drivable. Than way it was more, with yeah. The four banger. Exactly. Well, yeah. You just you just put the keys in and it starts right up. Yeah. You know, uh, it's great. But it, I had to put seat. I, Jen uh, basically didn't allow me to drive it until I put seat belts in. I mean, the thing was built in '42. It doesn't have turn signals. Right. Seat belts, doors. Sure. You know, basic things. Yeah. yeah Windshield wipers. You know. Yeah. Power steering. Obviously. Power steering, of course. Yeah. <laughs> And then you also have uh, a Mercedes convertible. I have a I have a eighty five two eighty SL Mercedes um, gray market Euro import um, with a five speed manual um, that came into the states legally 
in 85, but yeah, never sold as such. Um, yeah. So very rare to find a, a, an SL with a stick. Sure. Yeah. And with, with the Euro lights and the Euro bumpers and all that fun stuff. And a Nardi wheel. Good Ooh, job, Jen. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Swapped in a little uh, wood rim Nardi wheel there. Um, and then a 2000 BMW M Coupe, um, which I've had now, which is for the long... I, growing up, I every year I would just buy another car and sell and buy and sell and buy. Um, but I've had I've had um, the M Coupe now for, geez, I don't know, over a decade. Um, pretty rare. There's less than 3,000 in the U.S. They only made them for uh, three years. Yeah. So... Um, that's, that's the one that's the one referred to as the clown shoe. The clown shoe. Yeah. 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 Very and then cool. um and then bringing it back to Suvlo, we just launched a uh we bought and restored and built a uh the country's only frozen Greek yogurt truck. It's a 1971. 71 Chevy P10. Cool. Uh built by this amazing guy in LA. Um and we you know, it was a rough shell when we bought it and Turned the, turned the whole thing over, uh, dropped in a, a big frozen yogurt machine, generator, hand sink, you know, went over, you know, full restoration on the engine, crazy expensive paint job. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. And, thank you. And uh, bought and installed the little Mr. Softy music uh, system in it as well. <laughs> so it, it does play the Mr. Softy uh, stuff. So any expat New Yorkers in San Francisco hear it are like, oh my God, I thought I'd escape that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, which you can... Uh, which you can um, rent for private parties and special events. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Do you have any? Do you have your eye on anything else? Like, I mean, do you have any, yeah. anything that like, not just like on your list, but things you're like, oh man, can I buy that this year? Always. Um, and and so you know, part of the problem is garage space. Sure. Um, in San Francisco, our apartment doesn't have a garage. I have to rent garages. Yeah. Um, which just you know, the more garages you're in, the, the, that that expense adds up. Um, so and that's there's only seven days in the week. Right. You know, and, and you're also, back and forth between New York and, and San Francisco. And I'm back and, and forth. Um, and also, um, our apartment in San Francisco is about a five-minute walk from my office. So I, so, sure. I, so I walk to work. So, yeah. like, the cars now are truly, like, a weekend kind of fun. We'll just get in and, and, and go for a cruise. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little, so, and I also just, I, like, shop for cars just as, like, a pastime. Just sure. as, like, a, you know, time. And literally, it's, like, not a day goes by. I'm not on, like, Craigslist or eBay. Just, like... I actually bought the the Mercedes blind off of eBay. It's the first and only car I've bought off of eBay. Uh, we were we were on our honeymoon in this Kiji market in Tokyo, <laughs> it's a great and story. Uh, it was like six o'clock in the morning. And you know, if you're ever in Kiji, it's it is a dangerous place. Oh, People for sure. are I've zipping been, around yeah. on was, these. Was like, unfortunately yeah, was, was. Yeah. I have not been uh, to the new market yet. But. Neither. Yeah. Yeah. Neither. Um, yeah. I mean. It, it, it was an extremely dangerous place. People are zipping around on these like major uh, little little trolleys yeah, and know you know hauling yeah. around massive tunas and um, and Charles is like on his phone and this woman is showing us around at the crack of dawn. I'm like Charles, what are you doing? Like pay attention. He's like. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. And trying, then trying to, a, a trying little to kind bit of like later, he's like, uh, just so you know, um, I just bought a car on the internet. <laughs> and well, the auction for the, for the, for the Benz was ending. Sure, of course. I, I mean, yeah. so, so I, I, have a, I have a similar story. Uh, about a week before my first child was born, uh, my wife and I were at an event, and she was, you know, nine plus months pregnant and was tired of being pregnant, and we were helping put together this outdoor uh, pig roast event at the Queen's Farm. And I had bid on out of, you know, whatever bizarre midlife crisis, having a first child, something I had always wanted to own 
a split window Volkswagen bus. Oh, wow. Mm. And I bid on and bought sight unseen a very rusty 1967 split window <laughs> panel van yeah. that was in Vermont uh, and then had it moved to Boston and had all the engine and all the mechanicals redone, figuring someday we would turn it into, at the time we were thinking, I, I was thinking, uh, that we would turn it into kind of a, a branding uh, mm-hmm. vehicle kind of like you've done with the step van um, but it was one of those things where it was like we were at this event and it was the week before our daughter's and I was like ah, so I just bought a van <laughs> uh, and then you know a couple of years later ended up getting rid of it because of seatbelts it was a panel van only had seats in the front only had a driver's seatbelt because it had been a delivery vehicle right and just made no sense yep. for us with a family, yep. um, but managed to trade that for a 1976 BMW 2002. Ooh, Jen loves the 2002. Uh, mm. Which my, my wife was born in 1976, so that's her car. Cool. Uh, we don't drive it in the winter, but yep. we drive it in the summer and yep. love the heck out of that car. Yeah. They're so fun. Yeah. I'm personally shopping at the moment for a Rolls Royce. <laughs> For the Riddler, um, I've been, I've been, I've been trying to, I've been trying to convince Jen that she, that she needs like a like a, a like a branded company vehicle that I would just personally drive. But that well, can, she doesn't have a license. She doesn't so. have a license, That's anyways. Right. That's right. Um, but that she can just have parked outside of the Riddler at all times. Sure, you know, just to it's like a it's basically just like well, decor plus plus. Well, well, there used to be that restaurant on Seventh Avenue South, the Mexican place that had the yellow Studebaker parked outside. Yeah, I mean, totally. It was still there. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we would use it as an amenity for VIPs when totally. they had a couple two-tree extra uh, <laughs> at the end of the night. We could take them home or if they're going to the Met Gala or anything like that. And, of course, have like a champagne bucket in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. And a, an endless supply of Grey Poupon. I mean, do you think that you could do like some kind of collaboration like with the Classic Car Club of yes. Manhattan? Yes, that's um, a great idea. That's a great I can, idea. I can yeah. actually probably connect you to their oh. events person. Yeah, mm. we're very interested in that. Um, because I feel like that would be really neat because they have so many cars. Right. Yes. And then, I mean, they take care of them. Right. right? Absolutely. Like you don't have to deal with the maintenance and the worry right. and the right. thing and the, you know. Yeah. Um, but that might be a really fun collaboration. That would be a really fun collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But I, yeah, but I've, you know, I've, I've always, you know, the idea of just like a, even like the the Rolls Royces from like the seventies, I think would just be fun. But again, and maybe this is just, you know, I like the idea. I don't know if you if if you know of Icon and like their derelict series, but they just they they, they take these old cars and they kind of purposely keep a lot of the patina, and then they just like redo the whole underpinnings, yep. all modern. Engine, brakes, suspension, the whole nine, but yep. it still looks old. And I really love the idea. Granted, I already have one motor swapped car, but sure. you know, the idea of getting an old Rolls Royce, but then just dropping like an LS motor in there and just yeah. like update the electronics and just sure. make sure that everything is just like super reliable. Yeah. I really love the idea of like the just the the vintage look and feel, and especially like the old interiors, but just something that you can just go in and start up. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have to worry about a forty year old British. No. Engine, electronics, right. all that stuff. You don't want to worry about a 10-year-old British <laughs> anything. <laughs> totally, totally yeah. true. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting running, you know, we're, we're getting long in the interview here. I don't want to, you know, we do have another interview coming in. I'm sure we could probably sit here and do this for hours. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to meet up again another time in San Francisco or New York and, and hang out. But I would love to know, like, what is, what's so, you know, Jen, obviously you are, you know, you've just opened a new Riddler. So that's a, a huge project. Um, Charles, it seems like Subla is, you know, like doing its thing, right? You said you've got a great operations team. Like, we do. So what's next? Like, are you, like, will we, will I be able to get your delicious spit-roasted meats here in New York? I, I hope so. Me too. Um, so we, 
we now have actually five, I think since when you first reached out to now, we, we technically have five restaurants oh, in, in, cool. in San Francisco. We opened our first virtual restaurant um, last month. Like 3D printed food? Not quite. <laughs> uh, delivery only. Um, ah. Yeah, that, that, that only exists online um, just to sort of supplement all of the delivery that we do in the other restaurants because uh, it's now a, a pretty considerable part of our business. And we're working on a sixth in San Francisco that I can't talk about um, at the moment that will that will come online, um, you know, hopefully soon and like next year. Um, but no, I, we've been actively looking at real estate in New York for basically the last two years ever since. So we did a delivery pop up in New York in 2017 mm-hmm. um, in partnership with Caviar, who's our who's our delivery uh, partner. And that was massively successful, maybe a little too successful. Um, we we got like 150 orders in in the first like 12 minutes and like oh. broke everything. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> so obviously there's a there's a lot there's a lot of demand, um, yeah. and we've been looking for real estate ever since. And and I'm you know, Souvle is an urban neighborhood brand, and I think so much of you know we and we basically at this point do one restaurant a year, which is a good pace for us, and we're you know five and a half now, um, and you know, it's really all about finding the right neighborhood, the right block, the right sure. side of, you know, all of those things. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm very, very selective about real estate. I've probably seen over a hundred restaurant spaces, mm. at, you know, in, in two years yeah. um, and haven't found the right one. Yeah. So it's going to happen. Uh, Jen, I think got, you know, incredibly fortunate. I mean, where, where she is that neighborhood and just the, the physical space is just like, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, this is the Riddler. It just like, you know, when you, when you know it, you know it. Of course. You know, so, you know, I think that there's a huge opportunity for Suvla in New York. I think a lot of people are super excited about it. A lot of people think that we're, like, already opening, even though we haven't found any place yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully next year we can we can get something locked up. Awesome. Well, people should keep an eye on Suvla.com. Yes. Uh, and also follow at Suvla on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and Jen, will you tell us how they can keep up, keep up on the Riddler? Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm at Jen Pelka on Instagram, and then um, the Riddler is theriddlerbar.com. And um, we're also on Instagram at the Riddler SF and the Riddler NYC. Um, oh, and on you- my end, in terms of things that, that I'm really excited about, um, I'm working with my brother actually on launching a champagne brand. Nice. Um, either later this year or early in uh, January of, of the next year. It's going to be called Unfem. It's all about women. And we're partnering with female winemakers, um, one amazing um, organic and uh, Grand Cru, Premier Cru producer in Champagne. Um, the the Gonet Medvi family, they're amazing. And then another, uh, we're working with Sam Sheehan from Napa in California to do a sparkling rosé. So that'll be hitting shelves pretty soon. So we're really, really excited about that. Um, It's going to be awesome. We've really learned that there's a big hole in the market in terms of of the champagnes that are available um, on on the wider scale for consumers, and a lot of those brands are really incredibly old, and we're excited to do something a little a little fresh and new. Super cool! That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for thanks thank for having you. us. Yeah. Oh, you can follow Charles on Instagram at cblillis. That's right. And you can follow me on Instagram at the foodballer. Uh, thanks everybody for which is by the way a, a great Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Uh, it was it was not because I uh, consider myself, nor do I try to present myself as a baller uh, in the kind of like, uh, you know, uh, celebrity sense. It was because when we ran a kitchen store, I was stocking the shelves one day and we were selling an Italian 
thing for making meatballs and the package <laughs> said food baller. Wow. And there I was like, go. oh, that's it. That's, that's me. It. That's, that's my Instagram handle. It all came together. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or anywhere else on the internet. Uh, please take a moment to rate and review the show, and you can reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. And please join us at the Heritage Radio Gala on November 11th, heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Talk to you next week. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.